This is the OTP presented by Farm Bureau Health Plans. Get the home field advantage with health care coverage from Farm Bureau Health Plans. They've been protecting Tennesseans since 1947. With Amy Wells, I'm Mike Keith. Amy, good to see you again as we wind towards the draft. Hello, Mike Keith. How are you? I'm doing well, and we are so glad to bring in the dynamic draft duo from Titans Radio, Coach Dave McGinnis and Rhett Bryan. Welcome back, gentlemen. Go ahead, Rhett. <laughs> Look at each other. I'm trying to be nice. Want to make sure that, you know, Coach Mack can jump right in there. You got to give him the Rocky Balboa line. Age before beauty. Hey. <laughs> Adrian. Adrian. Great to be here. Very excited. Always excited to talk draft. And the adrenaline is flowing for me. I mean, here we go. Let's do this. I just love seeing everybody in person again. Isn't it nice? No, it's great. I mean, you know, these. I mean, this is, this is a cool group. And uh, I miss cool groups. I like being with cool groups. Ashley Farrell, you're also part of that group. I know you can't say anything, but I'm glad you're here too. She can say all kinds of stuff. We just won't be able to hear her. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but Ashley Farrell, for those who don't know, runs the show for us on the OTP, and we're most appreciative of her and, and uh, the good things that she does. Red Bryant, we will be on Titans Radio starting at 6 Central on Thursday night and Friday night, all of the first round. All of the second and the third round. And how many radio stations outside of 104.5 The Zone have picked it up? About another dozen stations along the that? network. And in Alabama, in Tennessee. I mean, yeah, that's, it's pretty pretty good stuff. Got to get our Kentucky partners on that, huh? Yes, we do. And I'll, <laughs> I'll be sending out another email probably in the day or two saying, hey, reminder, reminder. But, yeah, I've had a couple just kind of jump on, hey, I hadn't forgotten you. I'm, we're in. So, But, yeah, Memphis, Birmingham, Huntsville. That's great. Nash- uh, yeah, absolutely. People have grown to love the draft. Yes. I mean, it's really become a huge thing with our fan base. And it should be. I mean, it's, it, it, it's a phenomenon nationwide. It really is. I mean, look at what it has started out. You know, especially, you know, when they're at the Blackstone Hotel there in Chicago years ago when everybody was drafting off of Street and Smith's magazine trying to figure out who guys were. And it's a cottage industry now. I mean, it really is. I mean, and it, it's, it is exciting. It's fun. It, the draft is about hope. But the draft is also about an excitement. And especially nowadays with free agency and the salary cap, you're going to add new players constantly so it's a very exciting time before diving into draft let's talk about some of the rules things that the league did earlier this week maybe the greatest thing Rhett Bryan owners eliminated preseason overtime I will second that by saying it may be the greatest modification of the rule book since sliced bread became a thing. Since the forward pass was My legalized. My gosh. Holy Moses. And this is completely unrelated, but when I think about preseason games, I go back to that 2004 preseason game in Green Bay, the last one against Titans you know, at Lambeau Field and the lightning delay, and they couldn't find you know, Commissioner Tagliabue on the phone. He was in the Hamptons. Yeah, and it was you know a nearly two-hour delay before the two-minute warning of the first half and all, all that. And I just think about, you know, you, you grit your teeth silently. And you go, oh, gosh, it's it's knotted up, and it's a fourth quarter, and it's the last preseason. Somebody score. Somebody do two. something, please. This is fantastic. Should have been done a long time ago. Well, we played in 2005, I believe it was, in San Francisco in the preseason. It went to the last play of overtime. 
And then we had to fly back across the country. And it had like a 9.30 central kick. Yeah, it was a night game. I mean, we got back at like daylight. Six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. This is making my stomach hurt. It was so awful. (laughs) The old candlestick. And the thing for teams, though, is it's not just inconvenient for all of us who are around it and don't want to see overtime preseason football, but you're out of guys at that point a lot of times. I was there at that one that you're talking about, live and in person. But even before then, uh, I'm probably a reason they've got this rule now. When I was the head coach at Arizona, we were playing a preseason game against uh, uh, Seattle and Mike Holmgren. And I just drafted Bill Gramatica, all right, as a place kicker. And it came down to, you know, it was the last play. It was about a 47-yard field goal. And I could have either kicked the field goal and gone into overtime or try to take a snap and throw it. And, and, and Holmgren was on the other sideline, you know, looking at me going like this. And, I mean, I just drafted Gramatica. So I sent – Grammatica out there, and of course he nails it right down the middle, and we go into overtime. And Mike Holmgren, after the game, just looked at me. I said, "Coach, seriously, I just drafted the dude. You got to use it." <laughs> I said, "I just, I just drafted the dude." I said, it's "My bad. I'm sorry." Look, I, I, and then you know, Bill Grammatica paid me back by blowing his ACL out by jumping <laughs> up and celebrating at the New York Giants. So I got paid back for that. I remember the story about he made a game-winning kick or a game-tying kick and jumping up and down. That's when he blew out his ACL. Okay, Mike. Now, that would have been a better part of the story okay. if it had been <laughs> game-winning or game-tying. But it was in the first quarter, and it was, <laughs> oh, a, it was no. the first score of the game. And it was in it was in it was an old giant stadium, as you know, when they'd open the doors, oh, they were yeah. going towards the doors that were open. And it was a forty-three yarder. Jim Fossil was the head coach of the other team, and so Grammatica nails it. I mean, it's a great kick. I mean, it is, but it's a first quarter. All right, we're ahead three to nothing. Okay, it's it, and and he jumps up. I mean, you know, he's from Argentina, so they, you know, how they spin around at soccer and all that. He jumped up and came down, and but and just blew it. And you know, he he hit the ground and went down to the ground, and then limped off. And so now we've kicked the field goal, right? So the rules are you've got to kick off. Right. And so the trainer comes up to me and says, kicker can't kick off. And I said, why? I said, thank you, tore his ACL. And I said, he what? They say, tore his ACL. I said, doing what? They said, well, celebrating. Did you see the celebration Yes, live? I did. Okay. But I thought, you know, you're a human athlete. You can't just <laughs> blow your ACL out, jump it up, and coming down. So I went over there to him, and I said, what did you do? <laughs> Coach, I think I hurt my knee. I said, is your knee hurt or did you tear your ACL? I don't know. I said, can you kick? <laughs> no. I said, great. That, that was it. Last word I said to him. So then I ever? went. Ever? Ever. So <laughs> then, I, then, I went, then I went to, the, to the, our special teams coach and said, who we got to kick off? And he said, well, I, I, I come screaming down the sideline, Pat Tillman. Coach, I can kick. I said, Tilly, seriously, you can kick? I told you. A few words I can't say on the OTP. <laughs> I could kick. And I said, all right, go kick. So here's my kicker the rest of the game. We had to go for two when we scored. Uh, I said, can you kick an extra point? He said, oh, oh yeah, I can kick. He thought he could do anything, all right? And so there's where it was. But he was kicking straight on, right? No, he no, was... straight on. I mean, like just, super tough. Just dead straight on Lou Groza style. Okay. Took off running, kick it, went bouncing around like a duck on a sidewalk, you know, you know just bouncing around everywhere down there. But first quarter. <laughs> Only Coach Mack with the stories. This is why Man. you listen to the OTP. You got that right, Amy. Wow. <laughs> That's unbelievable. No, no, it's not unbelievable. It happened. It happened. <laughs> I, 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 would, I would never lie on the OTP. <laughs>
Wow. That, that's a great story. Well, it's a true story. It's a true story. That's why people want me to write a book. I will when I'm through with all this. Do we get to pre-screen that book? No, all of y'all will come out good in it. Mm. Speaking of kicking. <laughs> by the way, who was the last straight on kicker? Russell Erksleben? Do you think he was probably the last one, the last regular straight uh, on Coach kicker? Mack. I don't Longhorn, remember. University yes, of Texas. Yes, he was. He was also a good punter. Well, he could really punt. He was he's an athletic dude. The youngsters here don't remember what a straight-on kicker was. Sounds like it hurts. It really did. Remember when you used to have the square toe and tie square up your toe, shoe? Sure. Jim Bakken with the St. Louis Jim Cardinals. Jim Bakken with the Cardinals to tie up his shoe. Mm-hmm. He had a square toe, and so he would he hit seven field goals in a game. The last foot, Mark Mosley. For the Washington football team. For the Washington football team. That's correct. Ah, uh, Google. Nice job, Ashley Farrell. He wore the one bar, and his holder was Joe Theismann, who also wore the one bar. I remember that. Stuff that you don't want to know, but stuff that I wonder about when it comes to the National Football League. That's why I've missed being on the OTP with All the uninteresting facts. Probably should have wore more than one bar the day he met Lawrence Taylor. Ooh, End of story. Hello. In 2021, the receiving team on kickoffs will be limited to nine players within 10 to 25 yards of the ball. That's one less. Last year, onside kicks. 67 of them. How many were successful, Amy Wells, of 67? I, I, I would say four. All right. Red Brian? I'd say less than that. Okay. Coach Mack? Three is correct. Thank you, Coach Mack, giving us the three here. It's not a very visual medium, but I will <laughs> tell you that's what he said. Is this a better change, in your opinion, Dave McGinnis, than what was the quote-unquote gimmick of giving a team a fourth and 15 chance to keep the ball, which was proposed and then tabled. Absolutely, yes. Okay. Absolutely, yes. I still like the fact they have to kick it. You may not get any more than three of 67 again, but at least numbers-wise, you have a better chance. If it doesn't work, would you be more willing to accept the fourth and 15 gimmick? No. No. Rhett, you're a traditionalist, but, I mean, honestly – Outside of the surprise onside, the onside kick is basically out of the game now. Well, I mean, evidenced by that many attempts, three and 67. Yeah. I think it was 11 of 112 over the two preceding seasons. They did try 67 of them, though. They did. There are 67 of them. So these, these special teams coaches – and you've seen the different ways they've schemed it up with the watermelon kick, mm-hmm. you know, with, you know being mm-hmm. able to and, – and, you know – what Bones Fossil used to do, who's a special teams coach now at the Cowboys when we were with the Rams, would do would, would make the approach and have the guy be, you know, ambidextrous. Is it still ambidextrous with your legs if you do it? Amphibious. Uh, yes. Amphibious. Would, would, you would, would fake it with his right and kick it with his left the other way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of different things that you can do. So they, they attempted 67 of them. There's still the glimmer of hope. Like when you see Three your of 67? No, but as a fan, <laughs> you still feel – don't you – when you see your team running out – for that play, they line up in I that way, and you no think, chance. all right, this is it. No. We just got to get this well, kick. No. success rate gonna... on onside kicks. It's not great. Oh, no, but We're the, like the worst yeah, in it's league not, history. It's not Maybe great. Maybe I'm just an optimist, but they go out there and I'm I an think, optimist. this is it. I'm an optimist. You're unrealistic. I'm not <laughs> unrealistic. I think that do we all vote? we've got to do is make this play. Do we this vote whose it. side we're on here? No. I'm on for the Okay, Matt. That's because you're scared of her. Wow. I get excited. I hate that it is not a competitive play anymore. I hate it. When it was 20 to 25%, that was great. 
It it is. Listen, it's the most dangerous play in football if it's if it's done the way it was back in my day. <laughs> <laughs> We're not allowed to do it. How they no, did it back in yeah, your people day. People pull brass knuckles and <laughs> yeah. I mean it, it was, I mean, it was rough. When you get sent out there at any level, at any level of football on onside kick receiving team, you knew that might be it for you. Can I tell you the coaching points back in the old days? Sure. First of all, there was only two people designated to go get the ball. Okay. Two people because you could line up as many as you wanted. The rest of them was to do like Braveheart, destroy, take off running, and destroy anything in front of you as hard as you can. And one guy, your job was, because there's always a guy that stands behind the first line that is supposed to catch it, you go try to annihilate him. Don't even try to get the ball. You're not, in, you're not involved to get the ball. Do you remember who got taken out in a game at Nissan Stadium the last time the Titans recovered an onside kick? Going to be in the Hall of Fame. Larry Fitzgerald. That's right. In the great, incredible comeback against right. the Cardinals, Ryan Fitzpatrick leads the Titans back from 17 down in the final minutes, then throws an interception in overtime. That was, ah, sounds about right. Yeah, it wasn't. Yep. It was so typical Fitzy. But anyway. Yep. But the onside kick went to Larry Fitzgerald, and he got blitzed. blasted. Lost the yep. ball, didn't know where he was, couldn't come back in the game. And I thought at that point, man – you know, if you're putting Larry Fitzgerald in there, I don't believe I'd do that. I'd rather lose the game. But you had a chance at that point. Yes. And now. Just make the play. Well, three of 67. Do it better. Oh, what Coach else? Mack was saying is there wasn't a hands team. There was a hands duo originally. And then it was like running into a Civil War battlefield. It, it, it was. Good luck. It was Braveheart. On your mark, you set, go. Whew. I mean, it was rough. And, and now it's like. Unless something really fluky happens, there's almost no chance. And the league needs to have that be a competitive play because you don't need people turning off the TV if it's a two-score game in the final five minutes, and they know there's no chance. Yeah. Not with our $100 billion TV deal. I get it, and I see what you're saying, and it's similar to the kickoff argument with all the touchbacks and all of that. But see, like, I'm for doing away with it. I know you are. I'm you for doing want, away with the kickoff. You want every second to be the most compelling, exciting thing possible. I want to see if football we could, plays. If we could light people on fire and have no. them run around, you'd be into it because Maybe. it'd be exciting. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. No, wow. I know. If it was a football play. <laughs> I want to see football plays. That's why in the pros, I don't want to see 20-yard extra points. I want to see 33-yard extra points because if it counts a point and these are the best kickers in the world, they ought to be able to make one further than a college kicker. If they're going to say that the onside kick is unsafe, then let's get rid of it and let's do a fourth and 15 play that gives somebody a chance and at least puts the percentages back over 10%, Amy. Yeah. I mean, right now the percentages are at like five. Yeah. Amy. If they're the best athletes in the world, they should also be able to recover an onside but they, kick. But they can't because, in essence, for how it's set up now, they don't have a chance because you can't have 10 guys on a side, and you can't – I mean, it's got to be some trick em. Amy, don't give in. I'm not giving in. She's not giving in. No, he's just getting louder. I'm not quitting. <laughs> just let him spin himself out. It'll this be fine. OTP. It takes 10 minutes.
presented by Farm Bureau Health Plans. Look to the folks at Farm Bureau Health Plans when you need someone who understands the X's and O's of health care coverage. They've been protecting Tennesseans since 1947. All right, move on to the next point since Amy got the last one wrong. <laughs> the owners approved expanded booth to communications review. So the booth, the replay official, can now talk to the referee. No sky judge. No lord of officiating. The sky judge. (laughs) The sky judge idea was one that he or she would essentially be the eighth official and could make a call from the booth. There's some people who like that idea. There's some people who think that's too much. In this way, the replay official, Dave McGinnis, can radio down to young Hockley or whomever it is in the, working the ball game and can say, hey, it's pretty obvious on the TV replay the guy caught the ball. Or it's pretty obvious on the TV replay that you've spotted the ball incorrectly. Is it too intrusive? Do you what, what do you think about this? I like it. You do like it. I do like it. We've got the technology now to do it. And one of the reasons they say that they still are not in on the sky judge being all powerful up there, they, they're not sure how many qualified people they have yet. That's a good to be, point. To be able to spread out across the league and do it, you know, empirically without much delay. I like this. I really do because we've got the technology. How many times, Mike, are you and I in the booth and we get that truck replay and we go, uh-uh, that thing hit the ground. We, that hit the ground. We can see it. Now, we can see it because we get the, we get the truck copy. We can see it. Well, the, the, the person in the booth, the replay official, will get that same copy. I'm all for it. How many times last season <laughs> did you and I do double backflips because of the misspotted balls? Oh, I no, just, no, seriously. How many I know, times? I know exactly how many times. Six. <laughs> wow. In a game. Uh, in a game. <laughs> I mean, they you know, can't spot the they ball. They can't spot the ball anymore. And so I, I'm all for this. It's an enhancement of that's the idea. Booth to field communication in this thing. That's the right word. Yeah. And so and I like that because I think you're going to get more clear and concise decisions. I think it is certainly in an effort to reduce errors in those things and I think you'll see that as a byproduct. Do you buy it? Yeah, I buy it. I mean, until something egregious happens, I'm on board. Yeah, <laughs> well, until it, something mean, goes terribly wrong, I'm but in. But theoretically, it could keep something egregious, and that's the exactly. whole. And that's the whole idea. Like if you're in a hurry-up situation, and it's just obvious something is missed that can be fixed like that. And and they've the nice thing is they're going to have three preseason games to play with it. Right. I'm all for an extra set of eyes whenever you can get them. I think that is valuable. I think they need all the help they can get. With the technology. Right. It's like a full-time accountability partner for four quarters. See, I could, I could do that job. Yes, and you I'm could. Not just saying, You're busy. I, I, I wasn't, Sorry. I wasn't an official, but I could do that job. Right. And they, they, could, they could get former coaches to do that job because you, can, it does, you don't have to be an official right. to be able to, to rectify some of the, those things. No, you I know mean, the game situationally, the whole thing. That's why I'm right. saying. And, and so to me, this has some good merit. Yeah, and, and the point, too, is, and people may wonder this, the guy could not be, theoretically at least, could not be in the referee's ear telling him things. Now, there have been some conspiracy theorists that think they've been doing this for years <laughs> and that this is just legal. I, I, there's no proof of that. Right. But now that person, the replay official, can be in the referee's ear 
by virtue of this rule. Much like a television producer is right. with a news right. anchor, et cetera. Right. Yeah. I like it. I'm into it. Can we talk about another thing that has happened in the last couple weeks? And, Mike Keith, I think you're going to like this because you really like uniforms and jersey numbers and the the day-to-day outfitting of – I like an outfit. Of football teams. As Amy likes to say, I like an outfit. Yes, so I think you're going to like this because the league has expanded the jersey numbers that certain positions can wear. So let me tell you, running backs, tight ends, fullbacks, H-backs, wide receivers, basically skill players can wear numbers 1 through 49 and 80 through 89. Defensive backs can wear numbers 1 through 49, linebackers 1 through 59. So, quite the range and single digits. Single digits are available now right. for a lot of people. Who do we think is the first Titans player? Mike, I'll start with you because you like this so much. Who do you think is the first Titans player to take advantage of this new rule and change their number? Change their number? Well, or take advantage of the new rule, I guess. I think whomever they draft highly in the secondary and at wide receiver will do it this year. And take a single digit? We'll take a single digit. I, I really liked what A.J. Brown did, though. Of course, he was number one at Ole Miss. And so he is 11 with the Titans. He's considering. Number one. Number one. He goes back and he looks at the history. Number one is retired. As a matter of fact, when Gary Anderson joined the Titans in 2003 and 2004, they unretired it because Gary Anderson was one of the great kickers of all time. But it was Warren Moons. And A.J., being a young guy, doesn't know the whole history. So what does he do, Rhett? He reads up on Warren Moon and then says, hey, love to be number one. It would be cool. But Warren Moon, you're the bomb. I'm not doing it. I thought, man, one more reason to love Arthur Wan, right? It is a great story, and that has just happened recently. And for him to – because young folks don't always just check to see what's what. They just – they're like, I don't know. I didn't know that. He went and did his homework. He did. And that's what I really appreciate about what he did. And then gave a tip of cap to the re- respect to Warren Moon and saying, hey, no wonder you wore number one and it's retired. Hands off. I'm good. I'm good with 11. couple things on this that I think is interesting. One, Tom Brady put on his social media, he hates this idea. <coughs> and he hates it for the linemen. He put on his Instagram today, he says, why not let linemen wear whatever numbers they want to? Why have numbers? Just have colored jerseys. Why not wear the same number? Dumb at NFL, at NFLPA. Here, Tom, let me ask you a question. How much change do you make off those 12s? <laughs> you're, you're not TB and a color. You're TB12. That's right. Hello. That is your brand. TB yellow, TB <laughs> whatever. No, he's TB12. And right. thank you for setting me up for the next point on this. Go. I have read, and I don't know if this is true, but I read where you can change your number if you're in one of these that you outlined to, to a single digit, but you apparently have to buy the merchandise. That's always been of the, the remaining yeah. numbers of your numeral jersey from the league at whatever price it is, at whatever's left out there. Which is however, what? Yeah. if you wait till next year, correct? Because those ch- jerseys and things change all the time, and that inventory is gone and it's old, it's it's outdated. 
it will cost you nothing. In 2022, Derrick Henry could say right now, I'm going to go back to two, and it wouldn't cost him anything. But if he did it for this year, he would have to buy out. And think about how many 22 jerseys there are. You know who I think may do it? And I want to ask the expert, Dave McGinnis. I think Jack Rabbit may do it. I think Janoris Jenkins, because he's been assigned 20, but nobody's bought any 20s yet, so they haven't mass-produced them. He could do it. Does he think about it, knowing what you know about Jack Rabbit? Jack Rabbit, I don't think he's married to a number, but would he have the mentality to do it and the thought process? Yes. Yeah. He absolutely would. But your answer was the best answer because of this, because of the money it would cost, you know, real guys. Now, some guys that don't have a big inventory sitting in a warehouse someplace, they may change and not just to a single digit. They may want to change their number. Because if you'll remember, I mean, the, the, the league went through number changes in, uh, in 73, uh, 74, and I think the last one was 82, you know, as far as adding more numbers. And the reason that they started putting linebackers in the 90s was because more people started playing 34 defenses, right. and they ran out of 50s, okay? And so I think there are some that might change to a different double-digit number that don't have to buy out the inventory. Because a lot of times those guys that get those jerseys with unusual numbers that end up making it and then they have to have that number because you've got that number hosses out of those other numbers that you, you can't assign, those are the guys that might change. But anybody that's got big inventory out there, they're waiting until it's free. My mind is blown. I'm just sitting here tabulating the numbers of how expensive it would be for Derrick Henry to change his jersey number. Yes, and it because is think astronomical. about astronomical. Yeah, and you think about this because it's the NFL. They're not giving a hometown discount. No, you're going to hit that at two ninety five a pop or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean you're going to pay for it because that's it's that, retail. That's their money first. That's right. retail. Yeah, and then and so it's like, and then the teams get a cut, right? And then the player gets a cut, and everybody. That's yeah, right. There are a lot of people who get a cut of a yeah, jersey. You're not going yeah. to no. you're not going to Costco or Sam's Wholesale Club <laughs> and getting the deal. <laughs> no. That ain't happening. Nope, you're getting that at. Team but you wonder, like, prices. a guy like, okay, Rashawn Evans, he was 30 at Alabama, wasn't he? I believe that's right. Yeah. So would he want to go back to 30 next year? Maybe. I think if you're a young guy who was just kind of assigned to max point, assigned an ugly number, What's an ugly it. number? There are definitely ugly numbers. Give me an ugly number. 43. Well, that's retired. And ugly. <laughs> Don't have yeah. to worry about it. You've there, never seen it here. There, so. No, I'm just saying there are some numbers that don't look great. 87 I don't love. 87 doesn't look good? Not really. No. You've got to be I'm the right person. I'm a big fan person. of 80s and 90s numbers. You've got to be the right person. But 88 looks good. 86 looks fine. 87? Meh. There are some numbers that just don't look great. 84 is a very good looking well, number. Like, uh, what about like 49? That's an ugly number? That's a horrible number. Yeah, 49 is not great. See, what's sad about this is I actually know what she's talking about. There are some that just don't look good. And I actually agree with her. Mm -hmm. But you're just letting her hang herself out the dry. Well, no, I'm letting her do it because if I bring it up. It's it's embarrassing if he says it. Yeah, because we're going to that whole Mm -hmm. Vrabel thing about uniforms and numbers. And I get in trouble. I like gear. I, I mean, I admit it. I like gear. I like gear when I played 100 years ago. And I like it now. Yep. I like the cool shoes. I still I love that all the tennis shoes are back, the Jordans and the Stan Smiths and all the I, I like Mike, that stuff. Cool shoes, no, Keith. No, right no, here. I, I like these it. are all elements of an outfit. I, it would, okay. <laughs> like it out. I'm all right, not one wrong. more in this area. Teams 
are right now, for the most part, not going to come in for OTAs. And the the union is stressing this. The players are pretty much in solidarity, although like the Titans player statement is, hey, if a guy needs to go in to do his thing, that's cool. You do what you want to do. But they don't want to have to stay in town and come in for practice and running around in shorts. And the league seems to be acquiescing some, much to the chagrin of coaches and and general managers. But I think everyone realizes that because of 2020 and what happened and how the season went, that there was probably going to be a change with COVID still in our world, Coach Mack. Are the off-season programs as we've known them now gone, do you think? Yes, they're gone. Okay. They're gone, and it's gonna it's gonna change, and it, it's gonna evolve. And last year, you know, proved uh, some pretty big points. And it's it's hard for people that have been involved in this for a long time to think because you know for a long time in coaching, and again, I put myself in that category because I coached for 31 straight years in this league. It was always more was better. You know, the more the more was better. You know, we went twice a day in pads, two a days for six weeks. I mean, there was a lot. It's 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 evolved, and it's going to evolve even more. And I think last year's success of this season, with uh, look, our football team that we love here, the Tennessee Titans, they went 16 days without being together in the middle of a season, and walked through for three days and beat a playoff team in a football game that counted. So. There is a lot that has changed, and I think that uh, it's going to evolve even more. And so I, I don't think it's ever going back to what those of us that have been involved with it for our half our adult lives have known. Is that a good thing? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is because the empirical data that came back as far as the lessening of injuries, and the thing that's happened now, uh, Mike and Amy and Rhett and Ashley, even though she can't talk, this, she can talk. This, this, this to me, this to me, you know, when they started doing, uh, you know, all of the, the, the GPS in the, in the jerseys and you started being able to get printouts daily as a coach. I mean, I've been involved in this where you look and you see as to whether uh, a guy's used to call it workload or how, you know, it, his legs look tired. Load manage, he, management. Yeah. And so to me, when you start getting that type of data and you can, you can then take that and you can construct a practice for the next day and take, and take some guys down and amp some guys up. Uh, Mike Vrabel does a tremendous job of this. He's got a great feel for it. And so all of these things are coming into because – Again, the National Football League, as a head coach, the most important thing for a head coach once the season starts, other than, you know, the, the schematic X's and O's, and is getting your best football team healthy to game day. Getting your best football team healthy to game day. And that best football team changes weekly because of who's available and who's not. And so it's your charge to get the best available to game day every week. So I think it's helps. Well, and we also have to remember that guys, I think more than ever before, have very specific regiments, workouts, recovery routines. They all have these different things that they are investing their own time and their own money in. And I think the more time that a guy can stay with his trainer, can stay with his off-season program, whatever it is, as long as the guy's showing up healthy when it counts for training camp and they are ready to go, 
I don't really see any problem with that, especially with the technology the way that it is, where they can still get some of that training and they can meet with their coaches and do that in the appropriate time slots. They're still getting some of the mental work and yet they're sticking to their own training. And I'm not saying that team provided training plans and eating plans and all of that. Those are great. And those trainers know their players, but guys also have their own individual routines that maybe give them a, something a little bit different. They're able to focus their skill set in a different way and what it is they're really working on. And it's something that they are going to take very seriously because they're investing their own resources into it. So, Rhett Bryant, do you think it's possible that the OTAs become a, a template that the teams are able to use for just young players and that they don't do it with vested veterans. Instead, the vested veterans come in for a week of minicamp or a few days, but the OTAs as we know them are for guys who are rookies up to three or four years of service. I think it can completely transition to that when you're talking undrafted free agents and certainly your draft class or first and second year guys you've invited to a rookie minicamp slash OTA to to transition into that uh, and use this as a modern model going forward. I recently had a discussion with former Steelers safety Ryan Clark who said he worked out west with his trainer every offseason and did not come in till it it was really time to, and he was getting messages, hey, come in, come in, come in. And he said Coach Tomlin would say, he'd show him in front of the team as a film example, I can tell he's been working. I can tell he's been working. I see his movements, his footwork, his speed. I see – so, there, and it's voluntary. You know, we know it's voluntary. Quote, unquote. Right. And then I think Coach Mack hit the other nail on the head is the reduction, and I don't remember what the number was, but the reduction in missed time due to injury was a significant drop, I think, is, is a big catalyst in that. Let me just say this. When I started out a while back, you know, in 1986, when our vets, when our team left, when I was with the Bears after the playoffs – we never saw them again until after the draft. They, we, we had no off-season program. We had a universal machine in the basement. But they were all gone on their own. And so that's where the historic workout regimes of Walter Payton and Mike Singletary and Jerry Rice, all those guys were on their own. They were all on their own when we started this. Now, that involved six weeks of training camp. Because for the guys that weren't Walter Payton and Mike Singletary and Jerry Rice, some of those guys that hadn't been doing enough, then you had to get them physically ready to play. That's why the training camps were so long. That's not the case anymore. There's too much money. There's too much competition. And all you have to do as a vet. And the other thing about this I think it's important to know, and, I, and I'm all for the, you know, the, vets, the vets doing this, but they've got to understand this. If they're injured out there on their own, then – they're it's on res- your dime. They're responsible, you know, you know, for that also. So I think, I think a healthy mix of them both is what we will get to. But it's not something that has not happened before, Mike, because I experienced it when I first started in this league 35 years ago with a very successful team for a long time, and we had no offseason. For Coach Dave McGinnis and Rhett Bryant and Amy Wells, I'm Mike Keith. We thank you for joining us for the O's. Show where the legends go, everybody knows it's our house. Fighting for Tennessee, making history. Greatness is meant to be ours now. Hey, we got.
avec